Well, good morning. I want to welcome you here in, in the sanctuary, but also want to welcome you here as you're joining us via stream. So welcome to Livingstone's Church this morning. We're going to have a great morning. We already have. Just love that song, Is He Worthy? Boy, I just, that's just so neat. I, I want to just mention something just before we get started. You know, there's, I know we're getting a little bit fatigued by COVID. How many recognize that? There's a lot of fatigue. But I also notice uh, COVID is increasing right now. How many see that as well? I mean, it's just amazing how that thing just keeps never going away, and it seems to be getting worse. Just give you the good news, it'll eventually end. How's that? It will come to an end, but unfortunately right now it's not there, and that we actually have requirements by AHS to um, wear our masks, and we need to do that properly. You know, I'll just say it this way. We want you to consider complying, well, actually asking you to comply, because by law we're required to do this, cover our mouths, cover our noses, and even our face shields uh, don't work if you check on their AHS site. Now, let me say this other thing. There are some people here who have medical issues, and I know some even have uh, what would we call an exemption not to wear a mask. So here's what I'm going to say to all of us. We need to learn how to be gracious to one another. Does everybody follow this? And so if somebody's not wearing a mask, I'm just going to make the assumption they have a medical exception. And I'm not going to judge people. And I trust that we'll develop that attitude. Our, our goal is to learn how to love one another. That's the goal of the church. Amen? And accept one another. So where we can comply, we have no reason why we can't, we'll do it. If we can't comply because of a medical reason, then the rest of us will understand. Does that sound fair? Okay. You know why I'm doing all of this? Because I, I don't want our church, first of all, to have an outbreak. Some churches have actually closed because they've had outbreaks. Number two, if we don't comply, you know, we're going to get into trouble, and then the ministry can't go forward. And right now, our church is actually ministering, not only in the central Alberta regions, but there are people from across our country, into the United States, and around our world that are watching our services and are being helped. And, you know, some of them have actually been watching our services, eventually came to the services, and have given their lives to Christ. So people are responding to the gospel, and to me... <clears throat> that's where my focus is at. And I know that as children of God, we just we want to rejoice with the angels, right? We want to see people's lives, you know, having their lives transformed and turned around. So that's my deepest passion and concern. So thank you for being so understanding. And I do want to encourage us, it will come to an end. I guarantee you, it will come to an end. Let's stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So Father... I thank you this morning as we're going to look at the last message from the book of Proverbs, and we're going to talk about wisdom this morning, and we know that your wisdom comes from above. It's peaceable, it's pure, it's gentle, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness, but there is a wisdom that comes from below, and it creates confusion and disorder in every evil work. Father, we want to refute that wisdom, we want to walk in divine wisdom, and your words tells us very clearly that if we lack divine wisdom, that we can come to you, we can ask you, and you will give it to us uh, liberally because you are a liberal father. So I pray today that we will open our hearts, that you will speak collectively into our lives, but also I pray that you'll speak to each one of us individually, and there'll be things in our lives that you want to say to us that I believe could bring about tremendous, powerful change in our lives. So I pray that we'll hear your voice and will respond in obedience to your word in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we're in the last chapter of the book of Proverbs. You know, I've, I think I've preached 30-plus sermons because I know I preached one earlier in chapter 31, 31 chapters. I've preached in every chapter. Some of them I've shared uh, more than uh, one message in a chapter. So that's a lot of sermons on Proverbs, right? So I'm going to have you consider something from the book of Ruth. Ruth is an amazing book. It's the story told of a young woman who is totally devoted to God and uh, in the middle of crisis. I think we can relate to her. We're in the middle of a crisis. Ruth is going through this crisis. She uh, gets married to a, a Hebrew family. She's a Moabite. Uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons travel to Moab because there's a famine in the land uh, of Israel, particularly where they were living in the town of Bethlehem. 
And so they live in Moab for a number of years, and eventually all the men die. And so uh, Orpah, which is the other young woman that's married to Naomi's uh, other son, she goes back to her family, which is very culturally correct. But Ruth now has developed a heart for God. And so Naomi makes a decision to go back to her home, back to Bethlehem, and Ruth decides, I'm going to do that as well. And so in her commitment to following the God of the Bible, following Yahweh, following the true and the living God, she has to give up her home and her family and the gods of her childhood to pursue the true and the living God. How many see that's a tremendous commitment? And she ends up in Bethlehem, and immediately she starts serving her mother-in-law, which is really powerful. Now, Naomi tells Ruth, listen, there is a law among our people that uh, you can actually acquire another husband who's responsible to carry on the name of your deceased spouse. And so Ruth approaches Boaz, who happens to be one of the kinsmen redeemer that she's a near kin to via her in-laws, and approaches him. And I love what Boaz says to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. How many would like to be noted as a person of noble character? Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, her reputation, her characteristics in her life Everyone in town knew she was a woman of virtue. And so that's why I want to introduce this because as we look at this text of Scripture here, we recognize that the main narrator, narrator of the book of Proverbs is actually a father speaking to his son, hoping for him to embrace uh, woman wisdom and actually stay away from woman folly. It's, it's, that's, a, that's the way this is framed, the book of Proverbs. And we see that especially in the first nine verses. Now, the father reminds the son that the way to actually embrace woman wisdom or this woman of noble character or choose a wife of noble character is by having the fear of God in his life and selecting someone that has the fear of God in her life. <clears throat> and so... It's interesting that in Book of Proverbs, wisdom is the word chokmah, which is actually in the feminine gender. And that's why wisdom is seen as a woman in the Book of Proverbs. And all the women say, of course, pastor, right? <clears throat> but before we get too proud, uh, we have to tell you there's another woman in the Book of uh, Proverbs, and she's the woman folly. And so there's this counterbalance that's being presented to us. There's this contrast throughout the book of Proverbs between those who walk in wisdom and those who walk in folly. Now remember, uh, folly in the book of Proverbs and wisdom literature is a person. It's not intellectually, uh, not with the program. It's actually a person who's morally deficient. It's someone who doesn't fear God. It's someone who has no knowledge of God or doesn't obey God. That's a person whom the wisdom writers suggest to us is a foolish person. And when you and I embrace wisdom or lady wisdom, it brings amazing blessings. Look what chapter 3 says. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Verse 14, she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. In other words, Listen, wisdom is better than financial riches. He's doing a contrast, a comparison, right? You know, if I was to say it this way, which is wiser on our part, to choose to be extremely wealthy or to have Jesus? If you had to make a choice, what would you choose? And if you're a wise person, you would choose Christ. You say, why would I choose Jesus? Because the person who's extremely wealthy is only going to enjoy this for a limited duration, and we also know that even having a lot of money doesn't make you happy. But if you're over here and you've chosen Jesus, you're going to have Jesus for all of eternity. And we're going to realize in verse 15 that 
you know, that this wisdom is more precious than rubies. Hang on to that thought because we're going to hear this phrase again in chapter 31. She's more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. As a matter of fact, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. So listen, if you choose Jesus, you get everything. If you just choose riches, you get a lot of uh, nothing in some other areas of your life. So you're actually smart to choose Jesus. That doesn't mean if you choose Jesus, you have all the money in the world, but you're going to have a lot. You're going to have a long life, it says, or a longer life than you would normally have, and also blessings. You're going to receive honor. It says, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. All the money in the world, and there's conflict. Over here, you got Jesus, and there's harmony and peace. Wow, that's a good decision. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Proverbs 31, 10 to th- uh, verse 10 to verse 31 is a poem written in a unique style describing the qualities of a godly woman. Richard Clifford proposes that this is actually a hymn of praise, and it actually is. It's an, he's speaking of an ideal wife of a great house on one level, but on a metaphorical level. So what I want you to think about today as we're looking at this text, we're not just speaking about a woman who's married to a man who's operating in an ancient world or household, but we're also looking at the idea of lady wisdom. We're actually looking at wisdom itself as described as the woman. And what she accomplishes for those who come to her house as disciples and friends. It's also written as an acrostic. There's 22 verses we're going to look at here. And if you, I don't know if you realize this, but in the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 letters. <clears throat> Every verse starts with the, the first letter, the second letter, the third letter of the alphabet. It's done in an acrostic. So you start out Aleph, which is our A. That's the first verse. You know, Beth, that's the second verse. That's our B. So you kind of go down, there's 22 letters, and that's how they do it. And why are they doing this? Because they're living in an oral culture, and to help people remember, it's a mnemonic device to help you remember, they do it, you know, you do the ABCs of what does it mean to have wisdom? What does it mean to secure a godly wife? What does it mean to be a godly wife? That's what they're looking at. It says here, uh, the blessing that she brings. Look at verse 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? This is, this is an idealized woman, by the way. You know, I've always feel bad. Over the years, most pastors preach from Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day and makes every woman feel terrible. It's true. Because this person doesn't exist, girls. You can relax. Take some deep breaths now. This is an idealized woman. And actually, I would argue she's actually lady wisdom. And I would even argue that you and I, that's the goal. That's what we should be striving towards. But it's not just a a gender-related thing. It's the goal of all of us as followers of God, that you and I, both male and female, would pursue this idealized picture of what wisdom is. In other words, you and I want to have this kind of a characteristic in our lives. She's worth far more than rubies. Didn't we just read that? <clears throat> How many see that wisdom is, it exceeds precious stones? Wisdom is so precious. It's actually, at times, it's, I would say it's priceless, you know, This is not MasterCard. This is wisdom, okay? It's above rubies. It says her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. We could actually say simply, if you have God's wisdom, you're not going to lack. You see? That's what we're talking about here. How many can see it on the metaphorical level? That's what I want you to see. So even though we're talking about this godly wife or woman, we're actually talking about wisdom. That's what you need to get. So this picture is a disciple of God who's become intimate with God's wisdom. It's framed in the blessings of a godly wife. Wisdom, as Proverbs teaches us, originates from what? From knowing God, having the fear of God. It's it's not just an intellectual understanding. It's the person who has such a respect for God. It's the person who wants to please God, a person who, you know, says to themselves, I dare not do this great sin like uh, Joseph said because he feared God. You know, 
we need to have the, a tremendous, uh, what I call a healthy reverence or a fear of God in our lives. It shapes our decisions. It says she brings him good and not harm all of her life. Isn't that what wisdom does? Wisdom brings good into our lives. David Hubbard says regarding this priceless wife, it is the persistence and continuance of her beneficence that helps to set her apart. It is not a sporadic temporary deed of kindness, but a consistent way of life. That's what wisdom brings to all of us, good and not harm. So we're going to take a look at this conclusion of the book of Proverbs, and there are four general qualities that emerge describing the nature of wisdom as a godly woman. Now, this literary genre is also a heroic poem that the characteristic of ancient heroic poems is that they're poetry in action. So we're not going to get so much a physical description of the woman as we are going to get the activities of the woman or her characteristics or her qualities Uh, Al Walter says, it does not dwell on the inner feelings or the physical appearances of the hero. That's what's consistent of a heroic poem. But simply describes the mighty feats of valor which he or she accomplishes. In line with this, the song of the valiant woman, that's the name he gives to the heroine here in Proverbs 31, is a portrait in verbs. The only adjectives in the poem, and they're just two, describes not the heroine, but her merchandise. And that word tob, that's a Hebrew word that just means her good, the good that she's giving, okay? And then her rival is uh, Rabbah, which is a contrast. I mean, it's the difference between this wonderful, uh, amazing woman contrasted with this other woman. And in a, in a word, she's pictured as, wom- as wisdom in action. So I kind of summarize the nature of lady wisdom or a godly wife or a godly woman or what it is to be a wise person in four general qualities. And the first one is simply, it's her diligence. She's not lazy. She works hard on behalf of others. In her case, it's her family and those that she sees as in need, the poor. She's the opposite of the lazy person. Actually, the you know Proverbs, the wisdom writers are not very nice to people who are lazy. I don't know if you, if you like being called a sluggard. Uh, that's what they call lazy people in the book of Proverbs. You know, like Proverbs 6, 9 to 10 and chapter 20, verse 13. She's not that. She's diligent. Uh, verse 13, it says she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it and out of her earnings she plants a vineyard. Well, she's industrious, isn't she? Um, She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Boy, she's working day and night now. Uh, In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She's very artistic and has ability to do a lot of crafts. Bruce Walke says, the poem now praises the valiant wife by itemizing her deeds and thereby defines what valiant is. This itemization extends her value to her entire household and to the community, including its poor and needy. And as a result of that, um, indirectly, she's contributing to the household economy. She's empowering her husband to provide leadership for the entire land. In other words, her husband is respected at the city gate. By the way, the city gate in the ancient worlds, when you go to the city gates, that would be like city hall. That would be like the courthouse. That would be the place where major uh, executive and judicial decisions were being made in these ancient cities. When you came to the city gate, that's where they, that was city hall. Isn't that interesting? Where he takes his seat among the what? The elders of the land, the leaders of the land. In other words, you know, what she's doing is allowing her husband to be able to give himself to a wider sphere of influence. She's, she, it's, it's not just one person. It's a team doing this. But I want you to even move up to a different level and understand, while this is true in a practical sense, we can also see that it's wisdom that allows people to rise to levels of prominence in our communities. That's what it takes to be a real leader, is to walk in wisdom. And if we have God's wisdom, we're going to produce amazing benefits to the community in which we live. Because if we have people in leadership who lack God's wisdom, it's going to be to the detriment of that community. Isn't that true? 
And we see that all the time. Notice in verse 13, she's seeking wool and flax. How many know these are very different materials? One is more uh, suited for winter months, wool. It's thicker, right? Flax is a material best suited for summer months. And so she's actually understanding that she needs to produce for different seasons in life. How many know wisdom helps us in the different seasons of life? You know, sometimes we're in a good season of life, but it still takes wisdom. Otherwise, we end up spending all of our resources in the good season, and then we don't have any resources for the difficult times. Isn't, isn't that kind of what people do? They lack wisdom. They don't understand. You know, they used to talk about saving up for a rainy day. Well, that's wisdom. That means you know that times will not always be the way it is now. So we need to think ahead and provide ahead. And she's doing that. She's providing clothing based on different seasons in life. And I think we need to have that kind of wisdom because we're in a season right now that's far more difficult. It's a season of crisis. How many know you need wisdom in a season of crisis? And when you lack wisdom in seasons of crisis, what happens is you don't handle the crisis well. And, you know, I look around a little bit today, and I see a lot of people struggling in this present crisis. Anybody notice that? People are not always responding in a good way, you know. But what's inside of us is going to come to the, to the top. It's going to come out in our lives. So we need to be people who are cultivating wisdom all the time. We're seeking God for wisdom. So no matter what season we're in, we're able to handle the situation we're finding ourselves in. Here in the picture of this ancient household is this woman overseeing her servants and managing her household. I remember years ago, I had Dr. Bruce Walke uh, for a teacher. You know, he came in uh, and taught kind of a, sem- some, a weekly thing, you know, and you're taking notes. It's very intensive. I was a pastor, and I went for a week, and he was my instructor, I just thought to myself, man, this is so neat to have probably one of the foremost Old Testament scholars. I've had two of them in my life. And, you know, when these guys are teaching, this is what it's like being in their class. These two individuals, Dr. Longman and and Bruce Walkie, these guys are actually Bible translators for our Bibles. They're the ones that know the Hebrew, and they sit down and they work in in a committee to determine what's going to be written in English. I mean, I think that's kind of amazing. And so when they're teaching you, they're explaining the different variations and nuances of what this translation work is. So when you're listening to them, you just feel like you know nothing. That's what you feel like. I, I said to one pastor who was beside me, I said, don't you feel like a shallow pond listening to an artesian well here? I mean, the way he was pulling stuff up and they were debating what words to use and all that kind of stuff. It was really fascinating. But he brought out something very interesting. He said, you know, uh, we have servants today as well. And these are the things that assist us in doing our ordinary tasks in life. But now we've kind of mechanized them. And so instead of having people cook for us or, you know, somebody uh, washing our dishes or someone, you know, washing our clothes, we actually have dishwashers and washing machines and dryers. And we have all of these tools that we consider, you know, we need these things in our life. But what they really are are servants to us. That's what they are. And, uh, Sometimes they can cause you grief, like when our dishwasher decided to empty out and water everywhere, you know. But generally speaking, they cooperate, right? Probably not quite as challenging as trying to operate a household where you have people underneath you like this woman had here in the story. Notice the expressions that describe her diligence. She rises while it's still dark. She's involved with financial investments. Then in verse 17, we read she sets about her work vigorously. David Hubbard says the metaphor of girding, which is the metaphor that's described here in the next letter and describes this intensity of labor. To gird the loins, as the text reads in Hebrew, means to get ready to fight or to work hard by wrapping a tunic around the torso so it won't interfere with bodily movement. And so uh, we see that that's what she's doing here. There's a vigorousness in her work habit. She's diligent in what she's doing. And uh, I believe that that's important. Uh, As a matter of fact, in Book of Romans, when it talks about the nature of the gift of leadership, it says, do it with diligence. So you need leaders that are diligent in their duties. Otherwise, if there's neglect, it's going to cause grief to their responsibility, their sphere of responsibility, be it, you know, a political leader, pastoral leader, uh, a business leader. It doesn't really matter. We have to do it with diligence. We see that this expression... Uh, she, she's working and burning the midnight oil. She's working until dark. Obviously, she's burning oil. 
Uh, that would tell us a couple of things. Number one, to have that kind of oil to expend means that she was, they were accruing wealth to some degree. Um, so some of you are saying, well, you trying to make us feel guilty, Pastor? No, I recognize that this is an idealized individual. But the point is that the writer is telling us that people who walk in wisdom are diligent people. They're involved in a lot. They're doing many things. And I'll tell you what happens when you're uh, invested in whatever you're doing and you're, you know, you're serving other people and you're helping other people. You know what, you know what disappears in your life? You, you tend not to complain as much. You're too busy. You don't have time for that stuff. You know? You're not figuring out all of the problems. You're, you're busy trying to solve problems. In the management of other people, as we are going to see here in Proverbs 31, this portrait of this woman that this labor is challenging and endless. There's always needs presented by various family members. To care for a household, I believe today, is undervalued in our culture. How many know that's true? It really is. Our culture doesn't seem to have any value for this. And then we, we can't figure out why are we having so many problems with children today? Or why are we having so many problems with relationships today? And that's because we've undervalued this role of managing a household, the nurturing of soul, the feeding and supporting of people. It's not only time-consuming, it is emotionally draining labor, which few spouses fully realize unless they're deeply involved in the process. Even in a world with conflicting family values and roles, it's still amazing how much work a woman does. They actually have done studies that even though women work outside the home, they still have to come home and do all this work. And sometimes their husbands help them, but many times they don't. And so it's an amazing amount to ask of a person. And I think we need to understand that and value what's being contributed. I, I know a few times, you know, and Patty was gone for some reason, and I had to take care of the kids and try to keep the house up. I was always so happy to see Patty come home. I, I'd rather go to work, and I, I said, what you're doing is far harder than what I'm doing. And it is the truth, and I think we need to value the person who's doing that far higher. And our culture certainly doesn't do that. The second quality describing lady wisdom or a godly woman is her decency. She's always focused on the less fortunate. There's a sense of generosity to those in need. As a matter of fact, I would say that generosity is one expression of godliness. And not to be generous, I would, I would challenge how really godly we really are. We have to really understand that it's an extension of who we are. It says she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. This virtuous and valiant woman here is seen looking beyond her own boundaries to help others who are less fortunate. I believe wisdom does that. Wise people are people whose hearts are open to the needs of other people. You know, we need to become generous. We need to look around and say, you know what, it's not just about me, it's not just about my family. When those needs are met, then I need to look out. And you know, I'm not against saving, I believe in that. I think all those things are important. But then we have to say, what am I also giving? Where am I also helping others? Where am I also, you know, you know, being a contributing person to our society? I think we're called by God to serve our needy world as his ambassadors. We're to reflect Christ in our world. Look at Jesus for a minute. How giving was he? He gave his life. Uh, here we not only see giving her uh, to her family, she has a generous heart, but she's also moves beyond that. She has a heart that looks beyond the needs of her family to others in the larger community. Now, I'm going to stop and say this. This is not neglecting a family to meet the needs in the community. That's a mistake. As a matter of fact, charity always begins at home. I would even argue that if I'm not taking care of my family properly, I probably am disqualified for taking care of greater responsibilities. I need to start there, and then I edge out from there. That's where it begins. You know, if I'm not meeting the needs of my own family, I'm not in shape to meet the needs of other people. Carl Erskine was a very famous big league pitcher during the 1950s. He won two World Series. And, uh, but his whole life was shaped by his childhood. And, and that's true of all of us. We're shaped by the environment we come out of. He grew up in the 1930s. That's 90 years ago. It's amazing to me. In the 1930s, you know what happened? There was a Great Depression. That was a very difficult time. I would even argue it was as difficult as this time. 
maybe even more so. There was less safety nets in those days. Governments didn't give handouts. People were jumping trains, trying to find jobs. There was huge food lines. Uh, there was famine in the land. There was uh, crops weren't being produced. They were, you know, there was just so many problems in the 1930s. There was the stock markets had crashed in 1929. There was just problem after problem after problem, you know. And in that time, he grew up. He said this. Uh, he said, my mother's attitude helped shape my thinking, he said. I refused to use the word poor because we were not. Oh, yes, we did rent our house. We walked everywhere we went. We ate one dish meals, and we lived from one paycheck to the next. But our clothes were clean. There was a feeling of pride in making what we had to be more than enough. You see, this is such a phenomenal attitude. It's, you know, it's that attitude is I'm not expecting anyone else to come and rescue me. I have no sense of entitlement. I don't expect the government to bail me out. Are you seeing that in this picture? So what does he say? My mother had a large white bowl. Many of our one-dish meals were served from that large bowl. Often when we had finished our meal, she would fill the bowl with what was left in the pan on the stove, dumplings, stew, soup, spread a cloth over the bowl and say, Carl, take this down to the Case family. This family lived four houses away, the father doing his best to raise his six children without their mother who had died. The simple, caring attitude gave me a sense of appreciation for what we had and kept me from feeling sorry for what we did not have. You see, when you and I learn how to give to others, it enriches our lives. As a matter of fact, we recognize there are people who have far less than we do, and we can do something to help them. It's interesting that the same two words to attend to the needs of the poor are used earlier in this chapter, in verse 9. As a matter of fact, when the king's mother is speaking to her son, who is the king, she said, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Wisdom, then, is being demonstrated when we show generosity to those in need, those who are poor, those who need our assistance. And we see that so powerfully demonstrated in Jesus' parable on the, on the sheep and the goats, remember when Jesus tells us that when we have fed the hungry, when we've taken in the stranger and we've clothed the needy, we have done it unto him. Isn't that powerful? Let me move on to the third quality. It's her devotion. The godly woman or lady wisdom is deeply committed to her family, has an ability to enrich the lives of her household, both emotionally and materially. She's concerned about the future and makes provisions for tomorrow's challenges. In verse 25, it says she's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. In another translation, it says she rejoices at, at the future. Now, I love what um, Henry Ironside insightfully says. He says, godliness uh, and joyfulness are inseparable. Let me just say that again. What's he saying? He's saying... There's no real happiness apart from righteousness. So that's why, you know, a person can literally be full of joy. You know, the Bible says this, when we have, when we are walking in the right condition, one of the fruit of that is a sense of goodness and joy in our lives. He goes on to say, where the conscience is at rest, the heart sings for joy. When David had sinned, he lost not salvation, but the joy of his salvation. Remember in Psalm 51, when he repents, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, because he had lost joy. And you know, when you and I are where we're supposed to be with God, that's one of the benefits, is joy. That's why the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. There can be a joy in our life. That doesn't mean, uh, I think joy is a little different than happiness. Happiness is more circumstantial. Joy is a fruit of the result of God's spirit at work in our lives where you and I can be praising God because God's so good. His loving kindnesses are there. And it wasn't until, uh, Ironside says, his which was never his again until all was out in the presence of God. In other words, until he confessed his sin, he, he wasn't going to have that joy restored in his life. Wisdom plans for the future in order that even when the unexpected happens, provisions are available. And we see this. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Scarlet, by the way, was uh, very expensive because of the process to make it that color. The, the dye involved in it 
was, was extremely expensive. Robert Alden also explains the significance. Scarlet can also be translated double, which means that she had made a provision of heavier garments in the light of the improbability of snowfall because Jerusalem rarely has much snowfall. She makes coverings for her bed and she's clothed in fine linen and purple. So in other words, it, she, she actually had some nice things. She, she was a woman that had some uh, resources here is what he's saying. It's interesting to note that her use of fine things is not condemned but commended as rewards for her hard work. So here's what we see happening. The, the wisdom writers never condemn wealth. They condemn the trust in wealth. That's what Jesus did too. Actually, when God gives us abundance, what we have to do is take a look at it and once we've taken care of our family, look around and say, okay, now what else can I do with this? How can I help other people? That should come right to the top of our heads. In other words, what am I expending? What am I saving? What am I giving? Those are all things we should deal with in our lives. Um, Robert also, Alden also says here, uh, she doesn't mean she trusts only in her wealth and investments to meet future problems, but instead demonstrates a self-confidence born of right living. She isn't worried about tomorrow because like the ant, she has stored up food for the winter. And I would add that ultimately this confidence comes from her strong uh, confidence in God. Matter of fact, it says here, uh, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think Jesus crafts this for us in Matthew chapter 6, when he's discussing the anxieties that life brings our way, particularly to meet our physical uh, needs and our emotional needs. You know, Jesus kind of prioritizes the spiritual aspect of our lives, knowing that the Father will take care of these other needs. You know, so often in our lives, we get caught up with, how am I going to meet our physical needs? Isn't that, isn't that kind of a pressure? And I think sometimes, guys, we really feel that strongly, uh, you know, as we're, we feel like we're the su supporter and the provider, and that kind of stuff. But listen to what Jesus says to us in Matthew 6. He says, the pagans run after these things. He's talking about the material things. He says, that's what they're interested in. But he says, your heavenly Father knows you need them. Now, how many know that if we're a child of God, is our Father going to just abandon us? Jesus goes, no, no, but get the right priority. He says, no, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. I believe that it's so important to have the right priorities, and I think that's what Jesus is telling us here. This is the ultimate quality that the, the wisdom writers are pointing us to. And then final, the final quality is her dedication. Here we see that the other uh, qualities are fueled by her dedication to the Lord her devotion, her diligence, her decency to her family and others, these are all culminated because she's dedicated to her following the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In an earlier proverb, the writer speaks of the wise woman who's building up her household while a foolish one is tearing hers apart. In verse 14, we read it there. Uh, and then these final verses, we see different elements of wisdom. Wisdom is seen as coming from her words and actions. Her instructions give guidance and understanding that is also reflected and modeled in her behavior. One of the most powerful forms of training is by example. How many know that we model what we really want people to do? So, you know, if we tell people something and we're not doing it, we're not really training people. We're not really showing them how it needs to be done. People have to see it in our lives. Um, listen to what it says here. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So the words that she's using are so powerful. You know, wise words. Uh, I, I actually wrote for over a year on this whole subject of the words from the book of Proverbs. And that was a, that was a major undertaking. I think 27% of the book of Proverbs deals with our mouth. Matter of fact, Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So what we say is so critical to the hearers that what they're, what they're receiving from us. And so wise words tend to build people up and foolish words tend to do what? tear people down. And so we can actually be undermining ourselves by the way we communicate with people. Throughout Proverbs, we've seen the quarrelsome, critical, or nagging wife. It says people want to avoid that person. It says better to be in the 
corner of the attic than to be with a nagging or a, a quarrelsome wife or to be in the desert than be with a quarrelsome wife. What's it telling us? This is not a pleasant experience. That's what he's telling us. He's just using those figures of speech to give us that this is not a pleasant experience. Now, ladies, this isn't about you. This is about what wisdom is like. And I would argue this, does, this transcends gender. You and I can be a male, and we can be walking around complaining and griping, carrying on, doing the same thing, driving people away from us. How many know that there are some people that when you're around them, you know, once you get done talking to them, you feel like, wow, you know, I need to be resuscitated. You know, I just feel like, wow, this has been so heavy. They just come along and dump on me. You know, I just felt like, you know, everybody, I was like the garbage can. They just came and brought all their complaints there and just dropped them all in the garbage can. I was the garbage can today. Whoop, you know, you don't, how many never feel built up when all people do is complain and gripe and carry on? You ever, you ever, how many feel really edified after that? No, I don't think so. But aren't there there's some people when you're in their presence and they're chatting with you, when you walk away, you just feel built up. You just feel encouraged. You just feel comforted. You just feel inspired. You feel instructed. Those are the kind of conversations that you and I, if we're going to be people of wisdom, we need to have with other people. How many catch on? We have to somehow say, yeah, I'm going to evaluate what I'm saying to people. How many get what I'm saying? This is important, guys. Uh, you want to have friends and influence people? Watch what you say. The results of wisdom is that she's praised by her family. In verse 28, her children rise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Here we see the excellence of wisdom. And how often when we're a child or we're, we're in young adulthood, we never fully appreciate the people that are nurturing and mentoring us. How many of that's true? You know, especially when they're correcting us. How many know that this culture is not open to correction? Come on. Anybody say any amens? This is not, people get offended today. You try to correct a person, they get offended. How many say that's true? We nodding? Isn't that right? Can I, can I say something to all of us? You'll never fully appreciate, if you have a godly parent and they were, you know, quote unquote strict they had boundaries in your life. You didn't get to do what everybody else got to do. You know, you grumped a little bit as a kid. Oh, how come I get, don't get to do this? Everybody gets to do this, right? You ever heard those lines? Yeah. But you know what happens when you get older and you're the parent, you know, and all of a sudden you go, man, I'm so thankful for my mom and dad. I'm so thankful they didn't just let me destroy my life and do anything I wanted to do because as a child, I didn't have any clue what was really good and what was really not so good. I just wanted to run with whoever and to fit in and to have friends. That was it in your thinking. But your parents were beyond that. They saw where this was leading. They saw the attitude. They saw the direction, and they spoke into those things. Well, until you get to that stage in your life, you don't really fully appreciate how difficult it was to mentor, nurture, correct. That's work. And so a lot of people today don't want to do the hard work of child rearing and child instruction and child nurturing. It's just pure hard work, and you run the risk of being misunderstood, right? You're the worst parent in the world. You're the worst dad in the world. You're the worst mom in the world. Well... That's fine. I'll take all the criticism. Not that my kids did that, but you know what I'm saying. That that's important that we set boundaries and guidelines for our children. Then the true value of the wise woman. The writer points out that one cannot measure a woman solely from outward appearance. As a matter of fact, I would argue beauty comes from within. Think about what it says here in Proverbs. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. That, that's a pretty vivid word picture, wouldn't you think? You know. But how many have ever met someone? I'm going to give you two descriptions. Here's, I'm going to call this person who physically is just you know, an ordinary-looking person, but inside of them there's this amazing joy and radiance coming right on through them. And when you talk to them, there's an inner beauty, and it's so incredible. It, it, it's attractive. You can't help but be attractive to this person. And then there are some people you meet, and they're absolutely gorgeous, stunning on the outside. Appearance-wise, they look great. But the moment they open their mouth, you go, man, I want to get out of here as fast as I can. You know? It's just there's nothing about this person you want to relate to. What, what am I saying? I'm saying be careful. Don't focus just on the outside because it's, it can really fool you. And then there are some people, and we've been warned already in Proverbs, you know, 
It's the, it's the flatterers or the smooth talkers. You know, it's like butter. They just tell you what you want to hear all the time. But you know what? That's deceptive. And that can seduce your soul and get you into trouble. As a matter of fact, it says charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the gem. That's what he's telling us. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Now, we know that that's just not an outward person here. That's really the picture of a wise person. We should give recognition to those who fear God and always demonstrate by their amazing actions the wisdom that they have. Bruce Walke concludes and says this, and I'm going to conclude with this. He says, this valiant wife has been canonized as a role model for all of Israel for all time. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies, each in their own sphere of activity. In other words, you know, this, is, this should be all of our goal, that we actually are emulating what I've been talking about. This is not a gender thing. This is not just, well, this is what a woman should be like or a godly woman. No, this is what all of us should be like. We should be walking in wisdom. And this is what it looks like. We're diligent. We're devoted. You know, we're disciplined in our lives. We're watching what we're saying. We're building people up, Right? We're a mentor, we're, we're nurturing, we're con generous, we're concerned about other people, all of these powerful things. He says, one should avoid emphasizing one of these applications at the expense of another, forgetting that by nature, proverbial material sets forth exemplars, which means the Proverbs are giving us examples. That's all they're doing. He says, asking audiences to make the appropriate application to their own sphere. So I'm going to have a stand as we close the service this morning and just ask the questions. Because I think there's questions to be raised. You know, after hearing all of this, I always ask myself the question when I come to the conclusion, so what difference does this make? What difference does this make? Well, I think what we have set before us, the beauty of holiness. We have a picture of biblical wisdom, what it produces in our life, and the benefit it brings not only to ourselves but to other people. So the question I'm raising is, what kind of a life am I living? Am I living a life of wisdom? See, in the New Testament, the word wisdom, you could interchange it with spirit. See, am I walking in wisdom here, or am I walking in the spirit? It's the same thing. Because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, self-control. See, those are all expressions of what wisdom is being described here in the Old Testament. It's very powerful. How are we enriching the lives of other people? That's a question I have to ask myself. Am I enriching people? Am I building them up? Am I nurturing them? Am I, am I modeling? Am I mentoring? You know, and my question is, are you doing that? Who are you modeling your life before? Who are you mentoring? Who are you nurturing? What are your words doing to people? Am I enriching people? Am I showing concern about the poor and needy? Am I showing generosity in my life? Am I walking in the fear of God? You know, I, I, I see a lot of people, they're going, I'm going to serve God, but I'm serving God on my terms. I'm willing to do this, this, and this, but not these things. Let me ask you a question. Can you really tell me that Christ is Lord if he, you're serving him on your terms? Or do, should we really be asking, God, how can I serve you on your terms? I'm the servant here. You're in charge. You know, very challenging question. Wisdom is learning to trust in the Lord and not lean to our own understanding. I think a lot of us just lean to our own understanding rather than trust God. What do you think? You know, then he goes on to say, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will do what? He will direct your path. Am I seeking God guidance for guidance? Am I looking for God to give me direction to where I'm going? Some of you are saying, yeah, no problem, I'm doing that. But some people, you know, we're making our own decisions asking God to bless it. God goes, listen, I got a better plan. You know, how many think God might be just a little bit smarter than you and me? I got my hand up, he's way smarter. So why wouldn't I do what he, he wants? He knows what's best for each of our lives. It's a way of obedience. It is in this way that we be, begin to bring blessings, not only to our lives, but ultimately the people around us, when we do it his way. 
I want to pray for us today. How many here say, you know, Pastor, we are in a crisis. Now I ask the question, are we walking in wisdom? Are we walking in wisdom? Are we demonstrating wisdom? Or are we all over the map? Are emotions driving our decisions? You know? Think about wisdom in the New Testament. What does James say? You know, the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, and gentle. Right now, are you walking in purity? Are you walking in peace? Are you walking in gentleness? The wisdom from below, it says, is what? It's filled with strife, disorder. It creates uh, confusion. But the peaceable, you know, the result of God's wisdom? Righteousness. We end up doing the right thing. How many say, you know what? I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I need wisdom. I need the Spirit of God to come and fill me with wisdom. So, Father, that's my prayer today. We need your divine wisdom, Lord. We need wisdom in our decisions. We need wisdom in how we treat people. We need wisdom in this moment of COVID and how we should behave in it. We need wisdom so that we can model for the unbelieving world how people who trust God should behave in a time of crisis. Lord, help us not to walk in panic. Help us not to live in fear. Help us not, Lord, to... uh, you know, basically try to figure this out in our own understanding, to learn to trust you. Help us to walk in trust. Help us to walk in hope. Help us to walk in grace. Help us to uh, avail what you're providing for us, Lord. Help us to look around ourselves. Help us to see the people around that are struggling. Help us to reach out, Father. Help us to hear the emotional cry of many needy hearts, Father. Help us to be your hands extended. Help us to be like you. Help us to be ambassadors in a time where there's great need, where many people, they're, they're, they're struggling in their health. Lord, there's a, there's a bankruptcy in people's lives today, an emotional bankruptcy, Lord, a financial bankruptcy, a moral bankruptcy, a, a relational bankruptcy, Father. I just see bankruptcy everywhere, Father, and we're, we're clinging to different things, Lord. We're looking to the government. We're looking for this or for that. We're hoping that people will get it right, but Lord, we're Right now, we want to look to you. We want to rise above the din and the noise. We want to rise above these things right now, have our eyes fixed on you this morning and respond correctly in a way that would honor and bless you. And Lord, it takes wisdom to do that. So we ask today, even as the book of James teaches us, Lord, if we ask you, the author of wisdom, to give us wisdom, Father, you will not withhold it from us. You will give it to us liberally. And so we pray today that you would fill our hearts with divine wisdom. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.